We continue today as we speak about Elisha and Naaman. That uh, is incorrect again. It looks like we're having a, a world of incorrect uh, things this morning. should be Elisha and Naaman. Last week we spoke about Elijah's departure in a whirlwind and how that I shared points us to the coming, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Elijah never faced physical death as we know it because God took him away. And one day that trumpet is going to blow and those who have died in Christ will be raised first and then we who are alive will be caught up to meet with the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever and my fear of heights will be instantly cured and permanently cured. Today we're going to be having a look at Elijah's close companion as we continue our Bible narratives. And if you haven't been with us for the last couple of years, we're just uh, touching on some of the main stories, main, <clears throat> main stories that we just identify as we go along, starting right in the beginning. And we've got now to Elisha today, stories perhaps that we learned at Sunday school, stories that we know well, and that's why we're just stopping every now and then and picking up on these stories. Elisha was the one who was there when Elijah was taken by God. Elisha was the one who had asked Elijah for a double portion of what he had. And remember, Elijah said, if you see me go, then are you going to get it? And Elisha was so focused on his master that even that fiery chariot and those horses of fire did not distract him from watching him while he was taken in the whirlwind. Not even all the whiz-bang that was happening could detract him from following his master with his eyes. Elijah, as we learned, meant my God is Yahweh. Today we look at Elisha, which means my God is salvation. Elisha performed far more miracles than any other Old Testament prophet. In fact, the narrative of his history consists of little else than a record of supernatural events and, and activities. So Elisha, if you want to get down to some really exciting supernatural miracle stuff, just go and Google every time you can find the name Elisha. And every time his name appears, basically, you're going to find a supernatural miracle. When Elisha was ministering, Israel was in a dire strait of idolatry. Here and there, there were individuals who worshipped Yahweh, but by and large, the masses were worshippers of Baal and other idols. And God uses Elisha to demonstrate his power through these supernatural manifestations that we read about. When we compare Elijah and Elisha, the work of Elijah seems chiefly to be a protest against evil. He was, he was protesting against what was going on in Israel at that stage. Whereas the work of Elisha was almost a continuous testimony to the readiness of God to reveal the distressed and respond to the call of need wherever that call came from a contrite and believing heart. So Elisha's ministry, Elisha's demonstration, supernatural demonstration of power seems to be a, this continuous testimony to the goodness of God. Now, admittedly, there's the story in 2 Kings chapter 2. You can read about it in verse 23 and 25, where some youths were teasing Elisha because he had a head like I've got with a little bit of hair. 
So these youths were calling him Baldy, Baldy, and Elisha turns around and in the name of Yahweh calls down a curse upon these youths and two bears come out of the forest and they maul 42 of these kids and send them packing. Just imagine the stories when they get home. So this is probably the only one that's not a demonstration of God's goodness to people who have a contrite and a humble heart. However, perhaps it was God's demonstration of goodness to Elisha because these guys were teasing him. So Quinton and Fregarson and Mervyn and Daryl and Joseph, and yes, we've got lots of bald people in this place. <laughs> we've got Elisha on our side. <laughs> Don't mess with us, you're quite right. Today we're going to have a look at Elisha's 10th miracle. So we're just going to pop in on the one that's probably the best known, and that's got to do with the healing of Naaman which even Jesus mentions in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 4, verse 27, uh, Jesus says, There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And that was in the context of Jesus had just read from the scroll and put it down. and Everybody was saying what a wonderful person Jesus was. And then he starts talking about Elijah and Elisha, indicating that God has come to more than just those who are his chosen people. And the people went from loving him to hating him so badly that they wanted to throw him off a cliff after he said this. Uh, it was just like instant, the religious spirit got up and got angry. Anyway, so today we're going to have a look at that Naaman about whom uh, Jesus refers. Second Kings chapter 5, you got your Bibles, you want to read along, otherwise squint your eyes and read on the screen. Second Kings chapter 5 verse 1, now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, or Aramea. Aramea would cover, cover much of present day um, Syria, some of eastern, southeastern Turkey, parts of Lebanon, and even bits of Iraq. So it was quite a big area. He was a great man in the sight of his master, the king of Aram, and highly regarded because through him, Yahweh, the Lord, had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. It's important to note that Naaman, the Bible doesn't say Naaman was a good man and so the Lord rewarded him. That's not why he had been rewarded, because he was good or because he was holy or because of anything else. In quite the contrary, in fact, Naaman was an idolater. He was a worshiper of Baal. And it's important for us to realize there can be no success in any sphere of life unless God gives it for his own sovereign purposes. God used Naaman the Syrian, Naaman the idolater, Naaman the Baal worshiper. God used him for specific purposes. And God will use whomever he wants to achieve whatever he wants. Just because an individual or a nation is prosperous or doing well, it's not an indication of holiness or earned favor ever. Sometimes we get, we think, oh, we must, God must be blessing us. God must be happy with what we're doing. God must be okay with what I'm doing because I'm blessed. Don't ever think that. Here was a man, a Syrian, an idolater, 
whom God was using for God's purposes. God will do what God wants to do. So our prayer, for example, some of us get caught up in this Russian-Ukraine conflict. It has to be for the strengthening and empowering of the people of God who are suffering on both sides of this thing. It's not that the Ukrainians are all good and holy and righteous and wonderful and the Russians are all bad and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know. And we want to get into binding and loosing and tearing down and, and declaring this and declaring the next thing instead of doing what the Scriptures call us to do and to pray. Pray for strength. Pray for encouragement. Yes, pray for protection. Yes, pray for provision and all the rest of things. But don't get childish and get caught up in taking sides in the sense that we must now speak politically as believers because this is good and that's bad. God will use whatever and whomever to achieve his purposes whenever and however he wants. It's for us to remain true and faithful to him in spite of what's going on. Anyway, let's keep reading. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mystery, mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. I want to pause and just honor perhaps the real hero of this entire story. A little slave girl, a young slave girl. A young girl had been ripped, torn away from her family, who had been removed from her culture, removed from her language, removed from her faith, removed from everything she knew to be true. And here she was in a foreign land serving a foreigner. She's not moaning and complaining and whinging and whining. What is she doing? She's looking for opportunity. Madam, if only the master would go and see someone I know. <laughs> Perhaps the real hero of the story. Anyway, wonder how many unsung heroes there are in the scriptures. Those that we just read over completely. The rest of the story is worth nothing. It would never have happened if one little foreign girl had not spoken when she was supposed to speak. Had she not been there at that time, what would have happened? We wouldn't have known the rest of the story. The rest of the story wouldn't have even happened, right? Hmm. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said and said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Sounds like he'd been watching TBN just before that. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel, now this was King Joram or King Jehoram, he, this was Ahab and Jezebel's son. Okay? As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. So King Joram really thought this was just a guise for another incursion. 
When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, sent a messenger to him. Elisha doesn't come out and go and see him. Elisha doesn't send a messenger and say, come inside, let's talk about this. Elisha sent a message to him to say to him, go wash yourself seven times, yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned off, turned and went off in a rage. Doesn't that sound like us sometimes? When we want God to do something the way we expect him to do it, we'll just go to that fancy man of God or that fancy person or whatever it is, and they'll just do da-da-da, abracadabra, and boof, I'll be okay, because that's what I think must happen. Naaman goes away angry. Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. and His flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Amazing what happens when we follow the word of God, when we just do what God has said. As ridiculous as it sounds sometimes, when we just do what God says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Imagine if we just did what the word said. I'm not going to do that. Just, just go wash yourself in the Jordan. Just go wash yourself in the Jordan. Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept a gift from your servant. <laughs> the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Does that sound like any modern-day miracle worker that you know? You know of a single healing ministry in Christianity today that acts like this? And I will answer, no, I don't know any, other than the faithful child of God who prays that prayer of faith. Amen. <laughs> Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that you would give us Clarity of thought, wisdom, and understanding to know that you would say what you would say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, the healing of Naaman is perhaps the best known of Elisha's miracles. And for me, it supplies a very striking picture of salvation 
Naaman had reached the top of the world in his career. He was the commander of the army. He was the big cheese, the, the biggest cheese. Perhaps he had all that his heart could desire. He had the power, he had the admiration of those around him. He even had the trust of the king himself. And obviously the financial gain that came with being really at the top of his game. What more could he even want? Unfortunately for Naaman, as for all mankind, both successful and not, there was this tragic exception. He was a leper. He was the victim of a loathsome and in those days an incurable disease without any prospect of ever improving, ever his condition at all. He would die from that which he had. Naaman at the end of the day portrays what you and I are by nature. See, God's word doesn't actually flatter us. Maybe the book that you were conning to buying, <laughs> Seven Steps to a Successful Life, or Your Best Life Now, or one of these myriad of books or, or television programs or anything else that tell you how wonderful you actually are. I want to pop your bubble this morning and tell you that the Bible does not, predict, uh, does not portray that of man by any means. Rather, God's word lays us deep into the dust. One of the reasons perhaps why it's so unpalatable to the great majority of people. See, the Bible is the word of truth. And instead of painting flattering pictures of human nature, it presents people as they actually are. It declares man to be leprous, to be sinful, to be corrupt, to be depraved and defiled. We want to make ourselves so important, so accomplished, so good like Naaman. And yet the Bible declares there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Different picture from what you see in these mega churches. Tens of thousands of people coming in who are being told how wonderful they are, how much God loves them, and how they can succeed. If they follow steps one, two, three, four, five, you too can have what I have. John 3:36, Jesus said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. And what does it say then? For God's wrath remains on him. Every person alive on this planet today or whoever will live who rejects the son, God's wrath, the wrath of God remains on him. This is not a pretty picture. This is a not a ring a ring of roses. Everybody's going to heaven. Hallelujah. This is scary stuff for everyone who rejects the Son. See, the word of truth declares that by nature 
All of us are spiritual lepers, foul and filthy, unfit for the divine presence. Isaiah 1, 6 says, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. So then I've got to stop and say, have you seen yourself in God's light? Have you come to that place where you've seen yourself against the light of God? Have you seen yourself in the light of what the scriptures paint? Are you aware that your soul is suffering from a disease that neither you nor any other human being could ever cure? And if you have been cured by the blood of the lamb, praise the Lord. Are you conscious still of the grievous nature of sin? Do you know what it took for God to provide forgiveness? How lightly do we take this leprosy? I'll tell you how lightly most people do. Jesus told a story about 10 lepers. How many came back to say thank you? Wonder how many this morning here and watching actually realize what it cost God Almighty to have his wrath turned away. I wonder how many times we pause just to reflect on the mystery that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. How flippantly do you overlook or explain away or try to reason why you should do something or why you shouldn't sometimes? And how easy it, how easy is it to tell that little white lie? How easy is it to share that interesting tidbit about somebody else? Called gossip. Anyway, let's have a look in the last few minutes, a few facts regarding our leprous condition. And I want to credit a theologian named A.W. Pink for some of these that I've taken and added to and subtracted from. Leprosy today is called Hansen's disease. And it's a very curable disease. If caught in time, it's very curable. It's a bacteria that operates and starts you know, doing what it does. So in, today, in today's terms, it's very curable. In those days, it was incurable. Completely. So just bear that in mind as we have a look at this. Remembering that leprosy, being a symbol of our sin, remains incurable outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, leprosy has an insignificant beginning. It's almost imperceptible. In fact, Leviticus 13.2 said, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a bright spot on his skin, they would have to go to the priest's. So it was, it just, it started small. It wasn't that one day suddenly you felt sick or one day you woke up and you had a rash all over your body. It was just a tiny little thing. Little or no warning is given of the fearful havoc which results from something where that starts off so small. 
just like sin coming into the world and the way that sin still works today in our lives. Just small, imperceptible. It just doesn't look like anything. And boom, before we know it, it's too late. I mean, did God really say? Did God really say? Male and female, he created them. I was watching this week with some interviews, you know, in, the, in America when they have these uh, Supreme Court justices, they go through, so the president nominates them and everybody uh, asks them questions and all the rest of it before they get appointed. And there's a woman there, <coughs> her name is Miss Jackson Brown. And one of the questions that was asked to her, now you're talking about the far left now, one of the questions that was asked to her was, uh, uh, what is a woman? Uh, I mean, you've all seen this uh, transgender that's one uh, a race and all of that nonsense that's going on. If you identify as a man, you can swim, you can, you can be a man. If you identify as a woman, even if you've got all the block and tackle and everything else, you can go and swim in a woman's race now. And somebody won this woman's race and was, was hailed as a wonderful example of transgenderism. Anyway, that's where America portions of it at. So this uh, senator asks this lady, what is a woman? You know what her answer was? I'm not an expert in biology. Refused to answer the question. Refused to, why? Because if she says a woman is a woman, you know, if you've got this at birth or that at birth or going back to your X and Y chromosomes and all the rest of it, if she said any of that, she wouldn't have got a job or she wouldn't have been whatever, recommended for a job. Because right now there are close to 100 different genders. Did God really say in the beginning he created them male and female? Did he say that or didn't he say it? This week was terrible for me, and I'm not going to make my time this morning, but I've got to share this for you. One of my heroes in the faith, and perhaps I'm not even going to mention him, but I read about this week who has completely flipped. He's repented for ever having declared male and female and stating that same-sex marriages are completely wonderful. One of my heroes, an old guy in the faith, it's just disgusting. Just a little flirting, just a little stealing, just a little gossiping, just a little white lie. Leprosy has taken root. Secondly, leprosy is inherited, or so was believed. Although it is, there is a susceptibility inherent in offspring in the blood. There is a, if your parents have had it, then you've got a good chance of getting it, not meaning you will have it. It poisons the blood and is readily transmitted from parent to child, just like from Adam and Eve to child and parent to child. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. There's nothing we can do to avoid having it. We got it at birth, and it's not because we're good or bad. It's because we're alive and because we've inherited it from Adam and Eve. 
Thirdly, leprosy works insidiously and almost imperceptibly, and I might have mentioned that. See, it's a disease with little pain, and it's only in its later stages that it becomes unmistakably obvious, just like with sin. Hebrews 3.13, we read about the deceitfulness of sin. It's deceitful. It hides. It disguises itself. It works behind the scenes. It appears as an angel of light when we're not even aware, hiding its true nature from us with its, in its disguise, its ultimate goal is to destroy us. 1 Corinthians 5 says, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. Fourthly, leprosy spreads with deadly consequences. As I mentioned, it starts small, but eventually the whole body is affected, affected. And that's what sin has done to man. Sin has corrupted every part of his being so that he is in effect totally depraved. The idea of total depravity doesn't mean that all human beings are as wicked as they can possibly be. I mean, obviously not. There are lots of very good, kind, generous people who are not necessarily saved. See, there is still an image of God in mankind. There are still restraints in place, restraints like the knowledge of God, like conscience, etc. However, total depravity does mean that the fall was so serious that it affects the whole person. Every part of our being is corrupted by sin. And specifically that our will, our human will, is in fact bent in on itself so that we won't seek God in and of ourselves. We won't choose him. We need his grace. We need his powerful working to change our hearts, to change our minds, and to uh, enable us to know who he is. Romans 7 says, Paul says, I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. The fifth fact about leprosy is that it's highly contagious. Well, it was thought to be highly contagious. It's inherited inwardly, but it's contagious now outwardly. The leper communicates this horrible disease to others wherever he goes in those times. When he saw anyone approaching, he was required to shout out, unclean, unclean, just so that everybody would give way. This analogy continues to hold good. Sin is a malady which is not only inherited by nature, but developed by association with the wicked. 1 Corinthians 15 says, don't be misled. Bad company corrects, corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. It's talking to believers. A bad apple in a box of apples will eventually see that entire box rotten. Good apples don't make a bad apple good. The only way the good apples can get away, not become bad from that bad apple, is to leave the box. Sometimes we're so intertwined with bad, it begins to rub off on us. We start thinking that maybe that's not so bad. Shame, maybe that person deserved that happiness. Shame, maybe that person was born that way. I want to tell you, I was born that way. In my leprous condition, I was born that way. I was born a murderer. I was born a, 
a, a whatever, a liar, a thief. Uh, I was born like that. That's my condition. But praise the Lord, I'm not like that according to his truth. As the apostle Paul said, some of you were that way. You were that way. Sixthly, leprosy is a state of living death, discoloration of the skin, loss of sensation, spreading ulceration. The fingers, toes, nose atrophy, they lose uh, mass. Vision is impaired, often blindness results. Nothing more than the walking dead, living dead. This is precisely what sin is. In our sin condition, a state of spiritual death, living on the natural side and like Naaman, perhaps even at the top of our game, but dead to all things spiritual. Ephesians 2, 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Want to know why it's getting so bad? Want to know why it seems to be snowballing into disaster after disaster? You want to know why government is incapable? You want to know why, 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 why? I'll tell you why. The God of this age has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. They are the walking dead. And lastly, leprosy was incurable so far as the Old Testament was concerned. The outcome was inevitably faithful, fateful, fatal, sorry, deathly. Nowadays, it's easily curable, as I mentioned, but not then. Our sin is still incurable outside of Christ Jesus. Our leprosy, our lepral condition is still incurable. We can plaster it with drugs. We can mask it with alcohol. We can try and treat it with self-help programs or smiling preachers. We can buy another book or watch another video. But I'm telling you this morning, the only cure for our condition is found in Christ Jesus. He alone is the one who is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Naaman did what he was told eventually, and he was healed. Nothing has changed. We all remain under God's wrath until we are healed. Acts chapter 2, Peter said, and people said, when the people were asking, what must we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Have you repented? Have you repented and been baptized? Not asking if you were baptized and then repented. Wrong way around. Have you repented and been baptized? Promises found in 1 John 1, 7, that the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We can be the living alive, new creature in Christ. 
where we have repented, when we have turned our back on sin. And then our role, Psalm 97, verse 10 says, let those who love the Lord hate evil. Do you hate evil? Do you even, as Jude said, hate the clothing stained by corrupted flesh? Do we have an intense hatred of evil to fear the Lord? The Proverbs tell us is to hate evil. Or is it okay to gossip? Is it okay to tell lies? Is it okay to doubt God's word? Is it okay to make excuses for my behavior? My friend, then you just said, hey, Lord, thanks for curing my leprosy, but I want some of that leprosy back. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked.